Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Pfizer did well in 2021. Also, what really works for coronaviruses? And does everybody have a cold right now? Those are the topics today on Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another fresh episode of Vitality Radio. If you're listening on radio, whether it be in the Salt Lake City area or down in Cedar City, Utah, I would love for you to join me on Vitality Radio, the podcast. I'll keep bringing it to you here on the radio for sure, but I bring you extra content, more exclusive type content on the podcast, and things, frankly, that I've been asked not to talk about on the radio on the podcast. So there will be a fresh new episode next week discussing uh, much about what's going on with coronavirus, Omicron, uh, the boosters, mask mandates, you name the topic, I'll be talking about it on the Vitality Radio podcast, which you can find on any of your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Stitcher and Overcast and CastBox and so many others. iHeartRadio, we're all over the place. So uh, go find us there. If you're in Cedar City listening, You'll get half the show. I only have a half an hour slot there. If you want to hear the balance of the show, the only way to do it is to jump up on the podcast where this show will be live uh, on uh, every single Saturday. Okay, so let's get into it. Pfizer reportedly made $36 billion from COVID-19 vaccines in 2021. Heading into 2022, the U.S. drug maker expects to make $29 billion additional dollars from COVID-19 vaccines. Those projections could rise as Pfizer seeks to sign more deals with countries to produce vaccines. Overall, Pfizer hopes to produce 4 billion vaccines in 2022. Of those 4 billion doses, the drug maker plans to allocate at least 1 billion vaccines for low- and middle-income countries. The high-income countries, they have the tendency to be way more proactive when they're placing orders, uh, Pfizer executive Albert Bourla said. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, for free vaccines, uh, they did really well, $36 billion. Um, a new blockbuster drug is considered $1 billion in the first year. That's a blockbuster. So this is a 36 times platinum blockbuster drug for Pfizer. And, of course, that doesn't include Moderna and J&J. But uh, it does give you a little bit of an idea why maybe Pfizer is pushing FDA right now to mandate boosters in order to call yourself fully vaccinated. Shocking that they would want to do that, isn't it? All right. So the main topic today, let me uh, introduce it to you and talk to you about what I think uh, is probably past due. As censorship has grown rampant in this country, free Speech isn't what it used to be. While I have the podcast where I 
apparently can say what I want to say. I uh, can't always say everything I want to say on the open airwaves. And so that plus fatigue of talking about COVID, I decided to, you know, focus on some other topics for a while. But does it seem like to you that everybody you know, and maybe you included in that, has a cold right now? Or is it Omicron? Well, to me, it seems that way. Now, I work in a health food store, you know, Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful. We have real live customers walking in on a daily basis, asking for things for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, people want things to help them gain more muscle in the gym or lose more fat. And they have, we have people that want things to help with their uh, other health conditions. But the thing that we hear so many times a day over the last couple of weeks is, I've got a cold, what can I do about it? Or I've got Omicron, what can I do about it? And of course, we're not doctors at Vitality Nutrition. We are people who know a lot about herbs and vitamins and alternatives to uh, pharmaceuticals and things like that. Uh, we are able to answer lots of questions, but we're not able to diagnose what you have or prescribe something for it. We can just make suggestions based on the information that we have. Today's show is going to be less about my suggestions and more about people who are actually doctors that are suggesting many of the same things. What do you do if you think you have Omicron or Delta for that matter? What do you do if you have a positive test that says that you do? Or if you don't know what it is and you didn't get tested, but you have cold symptoms, how do you know if it's a cold or Omicron? And does it matter? Those are the things that we're going to talk about for the next uh, hour on Vitality Radio. So what I've noticed, and it's not, I, I can't be the only one seeing this. I mean, <clears throat> what? two, three-minute drive from Vitality, Nutrition, and Bountiful is the COVID testing center. And the line, it looks like Chick-fil-A at lunchtime, only worse. There are so many people uh, backed up down the street, around the block, blocking traffic, trying to get tested, which indicates to me that uh, a lot of people have symptoms right now. Now, regardless of how you feel about the testing, I think particularly if your symptoms are essentially cold-like symptoms, like what we're going to talk about here, that I, I don't see where testing is super valuable. That's my opinion, though. Regardless of how you feel about that, the question is, well, what do you do about it when you get these symptoms? And I want to dig into that, but I'm not going to dig into it with much of my own opinion, although I will throw it in there from time to time. Uh, this is going to be mostly specific research that's been uh, documented on the CDC's PubMed website, uh, as well as uh, renowned doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough uh, and uh, several others who are saying that there are some natural things that you can do for these issues. So first off, how do you know if it's Omicron or if it's just a cold? Well, let's examine the difference between Omicron symptoms and the common cold. With the common cold, which is also, of course, a coronavirus, symptoms often include runny nose, headache, sore throat, cough, fatigue, sneezing, things like that. The top five Omicron symptoms, according to reports so far here in the USA, are runny nose, headache, fatigue, sneezing, and sore throat. 
they sound the same, right? I mean, they're pretty much the same as far as symptomology. So how do you know if you've got a cold or if you've got Omicron? And again, does it matter? Well, without a test, it's nearly impossible, but we also know that the testing isn't totally reliable, that testing centers, as I mentioned, are overrun, and every positive test creates just a little more extra hysteria. So perhaps fighting this thing like it is a cold makes a lot of sense if that's what your symptoms look like, especially considering that even the great fear mongers uh, themselves had this to say, and of course, when I say fear mongers, I'm talking about Dr. Walensky and Dr. Fauci. I always say fallacy. I don't know why. Dr. Walensky and Dr. Fauci. This is what they have to say about it. Omicron infections are associated with 91% reduction in risk of death compared to the Delta variant. 91%. That's huge, especially considering that the Delta variant didn't you know, 99 plus percent of people survive that. So a 91% reduction is awesome, right? Also, the big picture shows that the study uh, of Omicron infections uh, were also associated with 74% reduction in risk of going to the ICU, as well as a 53% reduction in risk of being hospitalized. That's according to Walensky. The study, which is yet to be peer-reviewed but came out of Kaiser Permanente in Southern California, uh, looked at 52,000 cases of Omicron and almost 17,000 cases of Delta. Those involved uh, tested positive in Southern California between November 30th and January 1st of this year. It was also done with CDC collaboration and funding. No patients with Omicron in the study required mechanical ventilation. That's 50, almost 53,000 patients did not, not a single one required mechanical ventilation. Additionally, those with Omicron had a shorter duration in hospital stay when compared to the Delta patients. The duration of hospital stays was approximately 70% shorter with the median of stays being 1.5 days for Omicron compared to about five days for Delta. All of those numbers sound really great, right? I mean, that's a significant reduction. So yay for Omicron compared to Delta. Looking at all hospital admissions for Omicron, 90% of patients were expected to be discharged from the hospital in three days or less. But she does say, while we are seeing early evidence that Omicron is less severe than Delta and those that are infected are less likely to require hospitalization, it's important to note that Omicron continues to be much more transmissible than Delta. And there is the key. Yes, it's not as dangerous, apparently not even close, but it's way more transmissible, somewhere around four times as transmissible as what the numbers look like so far, depending on which quote-unquote expert I'm reading. Uh, thankfully, <clears throat> we have the vaunted vaccines, except, wait a minute, current figures suggest that vaccines for COVID-19 only offer about 30 to 40% protection against infection from Omicron. That's not a very high number. And CDC says that vaccinated people are still getting and spreading Omicron to others. So Omicron is stealing the headlines like Ricky Henderson used to steal bases, but maybe it's not as headline worthy as it might seem. So what are the experts saying that I tend to listen to a little bit more? I mean, the experts that believe in actual preventative medicine and early treatment, because now we have a variant that is highly transmissible, highly infectious, and yet not particularly dangerous by comparison to Delta. So what are the experts that actually behave like experts as opposed to just 
trying to instill fear, what do they say? Well, Dr. Peter McCullough, who I had on my show a couple of months ago and who was on Joe Rogan's show just a month ago, is suggesting things that he has personally seen to be effective in his clinical practice and in multiple studies across the world. So for the rest of the show, I'm going to be talking about the natural options to both prevent and treat COVID-19. Once again, these are not my opinions. I am not a doctor, and I don't claim to be one. I'm not diagnosing, and I'm not prescribing. That is not my job, but I am reporting what is being found, and you get to do what you'd like to do with it. So first, prevent. You know, we all know the preschool-level preventative measures that seem to flow like nursery rhymes from our government officials. Social distance, small groups, mask, double mask, triple mask, wash hands, sanitize everything, etc. But what do all of those things have in common? Well, none of them actually do one single thing to boost your natural immune response, and all of them have high levels of skepticism from other experts as to whether or not they even work at all. So what does work? Well, Delta, the variant, took about four days post-infection to start showing symptoms. It kind of incubates there in your nose and mouth for a while before you get sick. So Dr. McCullough, when he was on Vitality Radio and also on the Rogan podcast, said that if we clean out the nose and mouth during that period, that we can prevent ever having symptoms. He suggested povidone iodine, which you can get at the local drugstore, that you do a, a nasal rinse and a mouth rinse with that. Uh, anytime that you feel like you've been exposed or uh, you've been with someone who um, has, you know, since tested positive or gotten sick or whatever. And he recommends doing that uh, a couple times a day for a couple of days to make sure that you clean it out. He also said there's no harm in doing it daily if you want once a day just to keep things clean. He also said that not just povidone iodine, but food-grade hydrogen peroxide can work as well. Now, I personally have had experience with food-grade hydrogen peroxide. I'm a big believer in that. Uh, it's very oxygenating, and it's extremely uh, excellent at fighting viral things and bacterial things. And you can use that as a nasal wash in like a neti pot. You can also, of course, use the iodine in the same way. So you kind of get to choose whichever. Neither are particularly expensive, so there's no you know, financial advantage really to using one or the other, I don't think. And they both seem to do a good job. Um, so a neti pot or nasopure is a system that uh, we sell at Vitality that I really like for that. I use it on a regular basis where you put some water and salt in there to make a saline solution. And then if you want to add a little bit of hydrogen peroxide or povidone iodine to that, you certainly could. So that's uh, one of the best preventative things that you can do, according to Dr. McCullough. And those are, again, effective, preventative things that are relatively easy to do, and they're cheap. But what about supplemental things? How about vitamin D? Well, we know that the mortality rate of people low on vitamin D versus the people with sufficient vitamin D levels is dramatically higher. People who are low on vitamin D don't fare well with COVID-19. The Mayo Clinic uh, says that there's not enough evidence to recommend vitamin D, but then they give you a bunch of evidence that sounds like they're recommending vitamin D. This is directly from their site. Several recent studies have looked at the impact of vitamin D on COVID-19. One study of 489 people found that those who had a vitamin D deficiency were most likely to test positive for the virus that causes COVID-19, or sorry, more likely than people who had normal levels of vitamin D. Other research has observed high rates of vitamin D deficiency in people with COVID-19 
who experienced acute respiratory failure. These people had a significantly higher risk of dying, and a small randomized study found that 50 people hospitalized with COVID-19 who were given a high dose of, t- of a type of vitamin D, only one needed treatment in the intensive care unit. In contrast, among the 26 people with COVID-19 who were not giving vitamin D, 13 needed to be treated in the intensive care unit. Those are pretty dramatic numbers when you think about it, pretty drastic differences. Uh, One out of 26 uh, needed to be put into ICU after taking a mega dose of vitamin D uh, once admitted to the hospital versus 13 out of 26 of the people who did not receive vitamin D. And that's an interesting thing because we know that vitamin D is far more preventative than it is curative based on the research that we have on COVID, but also on other viruses and things like that. So in addition, vitamin D deficiency is common in the United States, particularly among Hispanic and black people. These groups have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Now, is that a coincidence or not? We don't really know, and I don't claim to know, but it does make sense to me that people who are more deficient in vitamin D would have a higher rate of COVID infection. And it so happens that because of the pigment of their skin, Hispanic people and black people tend to have less vitamin D than do their Caucasian counterparts. So that is something that we need to recognize. Also, people with higher body mass indexes, higher obesity rates, uh, higher blood pressure, these are other factors that lead to more vitamin D deficiency. And these are also people who tend to be more susceptible to COVID. So these are not causal, but they are interesting to note. Pretty much every doctor who I'm reading who is speaking out about prevention of COVID-19 is suggesting somewhere between about 1,000 and 5,000 units of vitamin D daily. The key here is understanding, like I said, that vitamin D seems to be largely preventative more so than it is curative. So having it on board, getting your levels up is key. And if you have vitamin D deficiency, well, the way to know if you have vitamin D deficiency is with a blood test. So if you don't know and you're curious, it's not a bad idea to talk to your doctor about getting a test for that. Now, zinc, that's number two, and zinc has been getting a ton of publicity on COVID for a variety of reasons. And there may not actually be overwhelming evidence on the effectiveness of zinc against COVID-19, but the evidence against other coronaviruses is excellent, to say the least. And we have to remember that even though COVID-19 is its own thing, it belongs to a family of viruses known as coronaviruses, and coronaviruses, to a large degree, do behave similarly, if not identically, inside the body. And therefore, it makes sense to a lot of experts, not just include, not just me, but to a lot of experts, it makes lots of sense to say, well, if other things have worked for other coronaviruses, then they ought to be potentially used for this coronavirus. And zinc has one thing that we know for sure that is really powerful about zinc is when it's been tested on the common cold, aka another coronavirus, uh, it in multiple different double-blind placebo-controlled studies, it cut the average duration of a cold from about seven days to about four days, cutting it almost in half, trimming three full days off of cold symptoms. That's impressive, very impressive. Zinc also has a powerful effect in inhibiting viral replication at the cellular level. And that is why it's believed that it helps so much with coronaviruses. Zinc is safe as long as you don't take too much, and zinc is cheap. My favorite zinc supplement if you're just buying straight zinc, 
has 30 milligrams per capsule. You get 60 capsules and it's like eight bucks. So zinc is a really nice, inexpensive, uh, potentially preventative thing that guys like Dr. McCullough are recommending, Dr. Mercola is recommending. Most of the experts that are recommending prevention outside of just social distancing are recommending zinc. And I think it makes a lot of sense, particularly because of its cell or its viral replication preventative benefit. How about vitamin C? You know, in the early days of COVID, when I was first talking about it and it, where most of what we were seeing was in Italy and China and places like that, hadn't had much pop up in, in America yet. Uh, they were studying and having excellent success with vitamin C in intravenous doses. And then those studies were shut down. They were censored for who knows what reason. I have my theories. You may have yours. But regardless, we couldn't get a lot of information on vitamin C. But what we know now is that, well, maybe part of the reason they were shut down is because it was effective. Now, that sounds counterintuitive, but if you've been paying even a little bit of attention to all of this, you know that a lot of the effective things have been banned, canceled, censored. People are being called anti-vaxxers including guys like Dr. McCullough, who has specifically said that he has major concerns about the COVID vaccines, but just got his flu vaccine two weeks before he was on my show. So I wouldn't call him an anti-vaxxer per se, but he does have concerns about these vaccines. A lot of misinformation and disinformation out there, and much of the misinformation is people talking about information that's actually clinically proven, calling it misinformation because it goes against the narrative coming down. So whatever you want, however you want to look at it is that's up to you. But one study that showed people that got 8,000 milligrams of ascorbic acid along with standard care fared much better than their counterparts who did not get the vitamin C. Ascorbic acid is the most basic form of vitamin C. Patients who received standard care received a 50% reduction in their symptom severity score at a mean of 6.7 days compared to 5.5 days with people on vitamin C. Now, that's not quite as dramatic as what I saw, talked about zinc with, with uh, the common cold, but 6.7 days versus 5.5 is still, that's great, right? I mean, to get halfway better a 1.2 days sooner, I'll take it, especially considering vitamin, vitamin C is non-toxic and it's, it's good for you. And it's, again, not a very expensive thing to do. So to give you an idea of what other doctors are saying, this is an article that was published uh, on the CDC's website. Ron Huntinghake, MD, medical director of the Riordan Clinic, a nutrition-based health facility in Kansas, stated that most doctors and medical schools are biased against nutritional medicine and that vitamin C is more likely to be adopted as a component of medical practice that could be referred to as nutritional or integrative or holistic medicine, meaning not in most common ho hospitals. Uh, Huntinghake refers the viewer uh, to a recent study published in the JAMA, the Journal of American Medicine, that showed that intravenous administration of 1.5 grams of vitamin C every six hours significantly re reduced mortality rate of septic patients with ARDS, which is where most people end up if they get to the ICU with coronavirus. 
that reduction was 30% or 30% reduction by introducing vitamin C. Uh, He also reports administering intravenous vitamin C to 250,000 patients over his 31 years of practice and describes vitamin C as the paramount rescue molecule in nature. His current protocol is to administer 7.5 grams of vitamin C uh, over three to five minutes and that patients tolerate this therapy very well, including virtually no development of any side effects. At least some hospital systems have adopted administration of vitamin C in patients infected with COVID-19, including a huge hospital, the largest hospital in New York City, uh, hospital system, I should say, in New York City, is giving vitamin C to many of their COVID patients. A pulmonologist and critical care specialist, Dr. Andrew G. Weber, said that his intensive care patients with the coronavirus immediately received 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C administered intravenously. So they are listening and it's starting to get used. And it appears that it is very beneficial. So yay for some uh, regular docs uh, using some natural means. So ascorbic acid is great, but it requires minerals to get into the cell. So your typical vitamin C supplement is it's good. It's not a bad thing. It will give you some benefit, but there is a better form and that's called a mineral ascorbate. Now, this is I'm going to tell you this is my opinion, but it is based on the research. And that is very simply that the ascorbates are vitamin C that is bonded to a mineral, potassium, calcium, zinc, things like that, which the body has to have in order to shuttle the vitamin C into the cell anyway. So it basically makes it body ready. 99% of the vitamin C circulating in your body right now is in the ascorbate form. So why not take the form that your body is already using? It also helps to alkalize the body. Viruses and bacteria do not thrive in an alkaline environment. Uh, Additionally, ascorbates stay active in the body for longer and are better absorbed at the stomach and cellular level than than is regular vitamin C. So calcium ascorbate, sodium ascorbate, potassium ascorbate, zinc ascorbate, they're all great. Early on when this whole thing was happening, we were having a hard time even getting vitamin C and zinc. I was able, fortunately, to get enough supply to make a product called Vital C. Vital C is an all ascorbate form of vitamin C. So it's the right kind of vitamin C with 15 milligrams of zinc per dose, 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C per dose, and 300 milligrams of olive leaf extract, which is a common, classic, super, super beneficial herb for the uh, prevention of viral and bacterial infections and things like that. Vital C is my favorite first line uh, supplement for all things cold, flu, that kind of thing, because it has the right vitamin C. It has the zinc, which is needed there, and it has the support of olive leaf extract. Absolutely love Vital C. We've had such good success with it over the last two years that it's uh, almost two years that it's been out. And I would highly encourage you uh, check that one out. So I'm going to talk about quercetin. I'm going to talk about NAC. I'm going to talk about a few other things on the second half of the show, but I'm have to say goodbye to the people in Cedar City on the radio. So if you're in Cedar, uh, please jump on the podcast, listen to the rest of this show. It is live for you right now. Thanks for joining us. For the rest of you, I will be back. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I return, I'll be back to talk about quercetin and NAC, two pretty controversial topics when it comes to COVID-19. That's coming up next on Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair. Thank you, and I'll be right back. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. 
People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email. Info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. I hope you enjoyed the first half of the show. I've got a ton of content and I think I'm speaking really fast. So I apologize for that, trying to get it all into the one hour. As I stated before, I'm going to be doing uh, an extra COVID show next week, uh, going into a bunch of the uh, additional topics that I don't have time for here or that are maybe too controversial for me to talk about on the radio or whatever, but uh, that's what we'll be doing. So always check the podcast for additional content because I always release a, at least a vintage episode of Vitality Radio, something that I've done over the last few years that I think still has value for you. But my goal is to do new, fresh content every week on the podcast above and beyond what I give you every Saturday on the radio. So definitely check that out. Vitality Radio Podcast with Jared St. Clair on all the major podcasting apps. Okay, so let's talk. I, I, I hit the vital C thing. We talked about zinc. We talked about vitamin D. Those are kind of the big key elements, in my opinion, probably that matter more than anything else because you've got to have the actual nutrients that your body requires for the immune system to function optimally, vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc, those are the biggies when it comes to coronaviruses and things like that. However, there are some additional things that can be really useful and that are frankly getting a lot of run with many uh, specialists and you know professional practitioners is the word I'm looking for, sorry, uh, professionals, practitioners that are treating COVID-19 on the ground. And some of these things have come up with a lot of uh, controversy for sure. But regardless, uh, the information that I am about to share, I'll make sure that you know what is clinical and what is opinion and uh, remind you again that I'm just Jared St. Clair. I'm not a doctor and I'm not trying to treat any disease. I'm just trying to report the news as I have it. Now, remember that Vitality Radio is always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. 
Uh, you can call us anytime if you have any questions about anything you hear on Vitality Radio at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And we are happy to help you with any of your health and nutrition questions. And it doesn't matter if you're close by, you certainly don't have to come in in person. Just give us a call. We can work with you over the phone, through the mail, whatever we need to do. Okay, so let's talk about quercetin. Now, first off, what is quercetin? Quercetin is one of the most plentiful uh, flavonoids found in fruits and vegetables. It is found in things where you might find a lot of vitamin C, uh, for instance, uh, citrus fruits and things like that. But it's found in a variety of different places. It's certainly a natural substance, and it is a substance that has been in use as a supplement for, I'm going to say, and this is totally going off memory, but I'm going to say 25 or 30 years probably that we've been selling quercetin now. So it's been around a long time. The question is, what does it do for COVID? And I'll be honest with you. When people first came in asking for quercetin for COVID, I didn't know what they were even talking about. I mean, I knew what quercetin was, but primarily we've used quercetin for years because it has a a nice natural anti-inflammatory effect. It's also a natural antihistamine. So a lot of people use it instead of something like Zyrtec or, you know, Benadryl or other allergy meds. Uh, And so that's the main reason that we've sold quercetin throughout the years is to help people with seasonal allergies and things like that. But initially, when quercetin was being discussed as a possible option for COVID, uh, something very interesting happened. They discovered, well, they didn't discover, they knew this. I didn't know this. The research was already there, but I was unaware of this factor when it comes to quercetin, and that is that it is what they call a zinc ionosphere meaning that it shuttles zinc into the cell. Now, that's critical because zinc has to get into the cell in order to prevent the viral replication that I talked about in the first half of the show. But that also makes it just like the drug hydroxychloroquine. Now, there's tons of differing opinions, we'll say, on hydroxychloroquine. You know, when Donald Trump first mentioned it, Uh, then it caught all kinds of heat from the left because anything Donald Trump ever said caught heat from the left. And that kind of demonized the drug. And then when the FDA started preventing people from getting it and doctors were told not to prescribe it and so on and so forth, then it became this big controversial thing. But what we do know about hydroxychloroquine is that it does help to shuttle zinc into the cell. So at least in theory, it should have benefit. And there's some studies that back that up. Now, I personally am a fan of avoiding drugs if at all possible. So I wasn't the first guy to line up and try and stockpile hydroxychloroquine. But what I thought was cool is when I found out that quercetin has a similar function, at least when it comes to how it works with zinc. So that was exciting to me. But then Dr. Michael Murray said that quercetin actually exerts significant inhibition Uh, on the binding of specific spike proteins to ACE2 receptors, thereby blocking the ability of the virus to infect human cells. Quercetin has also been shown to directly neutralize viral proteins that are critical in the replication of SARS-CoV-19, according to Dr. Michael Murray. So the studies are very interesting on quercetin. 
Some proposed that the primary reason hydroxychloroquine and quercetin worked was because of that feature, the zinc ionosphere feature that we just discussed. But since then, other studies, including the two reviewed um, that, that I'm going to review here in a second, have shown quercetin has other actions that make it useful uh, against coronavirus. And in particular, quercetin exer- exhibits that spike protein uh, inhibition uh, that I just talked about, the inhibition on the binding of a specific spike protein to ACE2 receptors. So pretty interesting stuff. In one study, and this was only done on 42 patients, but it's an interesting study nonetheless and merits, I think, additional research be done. 42 COVID-19 outpatients were divided into two groups. One group of 21 patients received standard medical therapy consisting of analgesics such as Tylenol and an antibiotic. The other group of 21 patients received that standard therapy plus the equivalent of 600 milligrams of quercetin per day divided into three doses. Now, they did use a lipo form of quercetin, and that's important because quercetin on its own is is great, and it has benefit and it absorbs, but the lipo form of quercetin is far more bioavailable. So that's what they used in this study. So keep that in mind. The quercetin used was 600 milligrams per day, okay, uh, in divided doses of 300, or sorry, 200 milligrams three times a day. The main outcome being evaluated were virus clearance and symptoms. So how long did the people have the virus before they cleared it? And how long did they have symptoms from the virus? After one week of treatment, 16 of the 21 patients in the quercetin group tested negative for SARS-CoV-2. And 12 reported that all symptoms had diminished. So 16 of 21 were negative and 12, uh, you know, a little more than half, said all symptoms had diminished. In the standard care group, the people who did not get quercetin, only two compared to 16 tested negative and four had partially improved symptoms compared to 12 saying that all symptoms had diminished. By the end of week two, the five remaining patients in the quercetin group tested negative. In the standard care group, 17 of the 19 remained, uh, remaining patients tested negative, but one had died. Now, one out of 42 dying is awful. One out of 21 in the non-quercetin group. That's not to say that quercetin would have saved that person's life. We don't know. But the numbers that matter the most to me are that in one week, 16 of 21 patients t- tested negative versus only four, or sorry, only two in the group that did not receive quercetin. That's a small study. It's 42 people. But again, like I say, I think it merits more research for sure. Very interesting stuff. Now, why is that working? Well, we already talked about what it actually does, and it would make sense at least logically thinking it through without seeing the research that that would have benefit when it comes to COVID. Does it? Well, then that 42-person study, it appears to. There are more studies, though. I actually could have filled an entire show with the studies that have been done on quercetin, most of which are pretty small. Some had as many as like 500 patients in them. Some haven't even been, like they are published, but they haven't been peer-reviewed yet. There's a bunch of different things happening because, as you know, this is all moving pretty quickly right now. But I decided to choose that one because... I thought it was a simple study that I could explain on on the air that would make sense uh, without it being necessarily super technical. Really interesting, interesting stuff when it comes to quercetin. So the question would be with all of these natural options, are they safe? 
because isn't that the biggest concern when it comes to medicine? You know, I mean, the Hippocratic Oath says, you know, first do no harm, right? Well, we know that the VAERS system has received so many reports of everything from heart disease, myocarditis, things like that, to death uh, among vaccinated patients that even the CDC is saying that, yeah, it's not safe for everybody. They do believe that it's safe for almost everybody. Uh, and you can decide what you believe on that. Uh, you probably know how I feel. But the question then is, are alternative options as far as the treatment of COVID, are they are they safe or are people going to hurt themselves with those? So let's walk through that a little bit because I want to make sure you understand the potential uh, for harm with anything that I recommend on Vitality Radio. Well, what I thought was interesting was as I was reading through this, I went through, I, I was on the uh, Harvard Medical website, I was at the Mayo Clinic, I was all over the CDC's PubMed pages and, and NCBI pages. I was on uh, major news sites like New York Times and CNN, MSNBC, and so on and so forth. I went all over the place looking at this information. And one of the things that I thought was really fascinating is that like in the Harvard site, for instance, they stated that while they didn't believe there was enough evidence that vitamin C, zinc, or vitamin D would be helpful, that they certainly wouldn't hurt. And I, and I thought that was interesting because sometimes we are told that we have to be you know really careful with natural products and supplements because they can be dangerous if not used correctly. Well, in my view, based on the research that's been done, and, and, and this is, again, opinion based on research, the only thing that is being recommended naturally for by reputable sources, uh, guys like Dr. McCullough and, and uh, that kind of person who actually has the medical background and so on and so forth. The only thing that could potentially be unsafe would really be zinc. And it's not that zinc is unsafe. Zinc is something that we require. We need zinc. We have to have it for optimal health and for this many, many bodily functions. And it is a critical component of immune response. But you can overdose it because it is a mineral and it is a metal and your body can get toxic on it. So what Harvard said in their study is, or in their paper, which was more of an article based on the studies, they said that as long as you don't do an adult, doesn't go over 150 milligrams a day, then they're fine, which is a lot of zinc. I actually err on the side of a little more caution than that and recommend that men don't do more than 100 milligrams a day and women about 50 under normal circumstances preventatively. Now, if you get sick, your body can use more zinc. It can use more vitamin C. It uses more of just about everything when your body has a high level of oxidative stress like you do when you're in illness. And at that case, then, if you wanted to bump up the dose a little bit for short term, that would be fine. But kind of the worst case scenario with any of this stuff, really, if you're not going crazy with zinc, is zinc can make you a little nauseous if you take it on an empty stomach. So I always recommend you have a little bit of food in your stomach. Vitamin C can give you diarrhea if you take too much. Now, it's not dangerous unless you do it every single day and become dehydrated, that kind of thing. But that's where the ascorbate form of vitamin C is so awesome because most people can take six to 10,000 milligrams of an ascorbate form of vitamin C before it's going to cause any diarrhea, whereas ascorbic acid, the standard vitamin C you get at the, you know, big box stores or even a lot of health food stores, that vitamin C 
three to 6,000 milligrams is kind of the upper limit for most people before they're going to have stomach upset. Again, not dangerous, but not comfortable. So err on the side of a form that is more bioavailable, like the ascorbates, and be cautious with how much you take because you don't want to certainly cause a chronic diarrhea condition. There's one more ingredient that I want to talk about that has been super controversial because when it first started getting publicity for COVID, same thing as as quercetin. I had customers talking to me before I found out about it. The news on COVID, <laughs> man, the news cycle on COVID is just insane. There's so much information coming out all the time and trying to keep up with it is nearly impossible. And uh, yeah, I've had some clients that have beat me to the punch on several of these things, including NAC. So what is NAC? It's N-acetylcysteine. It's an amino acid. It is one of the most powerful antioxidant producing amino acids that there is because it can directly uh, convert to glutathione, which is the most powerful of all human antioxidants. When we are very sick and cells are dying off, we have high levels of what, are no what is known as oxidative stress and antioxidants help to prevent those cells from dying. So an antioxidant during any illness makes sense. So in that way, NAC made sense to me. Also, there had been some evidence in the past that NAC was good for uh, the cardiovascular, or not cardiovascular, sorry, respiratory wellness. Uh, people with chronic uh, pulmonary issues oftentimes benefit from NAC. But what caught my attention was when FDA threatened to take it off the market. Why was that? Well, NAC has been on the market for like 60 years as a supplement. And whenever FDA threatens to take something off the market that's a natural product, I always wonder why that is. Is it competition? Because, you know, 60% of the FDA is funded by big pharma. So, and, and that's true. That's not an opinion. That's just true. So, you know, FDA tends to uh, lean pharma uh, dramatically <laughs> compared to natural, to say the least. And so I, so you wonder. And then when Amazon decided they aren't going to sell NAC anymore, I thought, well, that's really interesting. So what's going on here? And I, I, I don't pretend to know exactly what's going on. Again, as I've stated earlier, we may all have our theories and uh, we can put on our tinfoil hats and see what's going on. But let's just see what NAC does and then decide if it makes any sense. A 2020 study from Therapeutics and Clinical Risk Management suggests that the antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and immune-boosting properties of NAC may prove beneficial to preventing infection from COVID-19. However, based on its success in treating sepsis, which uh, is where most of the severely ill COVID-19 uh, patients become very susceptible, uh, is to sepsis, then it may also be able to treat severely ill COVID-19 patients, not just prevent, according to this 2020 study. Another 2020 review study from the journal Future Microbiology suggests that 600 milligrams a day of NAC could serve as a preventative measure against COVID-19, particularly for those who are likely to have repeated exposures, such as healthcare workers, school teachers, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Multiple health impacts of 
uh, NAC look like this according to Healthline. It helps to prevent and diminish kidney damage via detoxification. It positively impacts psychiatric disorders and addictive behavior. It helps to relieve symptoms of respiratory conditions. It helps to boost brain health. It may improve fertility, and it may stabilize blood sugar. Also, it's been shown to be one of the most powerful antioxidants and amino acids for uh, detoxifying the liver. In fact, it's used for people that have been have overdosed on drugs that are liver toxins in ERs across this country to help detoxify. So really interesting stuff, NAC. How effective is it for COVID? Truth of the matter is, I don't think anybody knows. To a large degree, it's speculation. It's come under fire in a significant way, so not a lot of people are actually studying it. But there's enough evidence, and it is so good for you anyway, that it does make sense to at least consider it as a possibility. Do your own research. See what you think when you look up NAC or N-acetylcysteine, and uh, yeah, let me know what you think. The big concern right now is that FDA is still saying they might want to take it off the shelves. Companies are fighting that because it's been legal as a supplement for 60 years. There's no reason that it should be pulled off the shelf. It's safe. Uh, it's effective for many things, and it doesn't cause it just doesn't cause harm. It's like the worst case scenario with NAC, I think, is it didn't do anything for you, but largely because of its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory benefits. It's probably going to help you in places, even if it's not helping you prevent in uh, COVID-19. So that's a pretty big list. I went through a bunch of stuff for you there. I uh, want to reiterate something very, very clearly because it's important. I am not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. I The statements that I make are my statements alone. They don't have anything to do with the radio stations that I'm on or the podcasting uh, apps that I'm on or anything like that. This particular show, I tried very, very hard to give you information as it is coming out in the journals and from medical experts, not information as I think the information or, or you know, my not opinion is the best way to put it. I didn't want to give you opinion. I wanted to give you clinical information because we're in a fight here with this Omicron thing. And, and I don't even know if it's a fair fight. It seems like we're beating the heck out of it on a regular basis. It's not what Delta was. Thank goodness, right? And so because of that, even Fauci is saying we're probably, because it's so incredibly transmissible, he says we're probably all going to get it at some point. Uh, vaccinated, unvaccinated, fully vaccinated, not fully vaccinated, all ages, Omicron, it's coming. And with it comes a certain level of natural immunity. Because with every viral infection comes a certain level and a boost of natural immunity. So maybe it's a blessing. I don't know. But what I want to state is very clearly that the statements I've made on Vitality Radio, they don't represent anybody other than me. Uh, if you have questions about anything you've heard, I would love to talk to you about it. You can call us at Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. If you're listening on the podcast, but you're in Cedar City because you found us on the radio there, Call Sunshine Health Foods, and they'll be able to help you out right in Cedar City. Thank you so much for listening to me. I, I appreciate it. It's been a challenge bringing this show to you this year. 
because, you know, I've got some strong opinions on all of this stuff. I have a little different way of looking at it than a lot of people do. And so what I've done is I have kind of filtered myself to some degree on local radio, but you can find all the information that you want on my podcast. That's where you get the uncut unedited, uncensored version of me. If you like what I have to say, that's really where you want to be. Generally on Wednesdays, I'm releasing new content uh, that uh, in many cases is stuff that you wouldn't hear otherwise on the radio. I've done five special episodes, actually six now, I think, with some excellent guests. Uh, some of my favorites being with Dr. McCullough, um, and uh, Brianne Dressen, uh, amazing episode with uh, Paul Thomas as well. Just some awesome stuff up there. I'd love for you to check out those specials. That's where a lot of the best information ends up. And it's where my long form podcasts are. Many of those are an hour and a half to two hours long. Uh, a lot more information than what I can provide in a radio show. So hopefully you'll check us out there and uh, enjoy the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, please leave a five-star review. I can use that to boost listenership and get the word out to more people. I'd appreciate that very much. In the meantime, I want to remind you that there are two excellent interviews that took place, and I think they're critical interviews. One has been listened to over 40 million times. One just hit 50 million. Those are interviews on the Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast with Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone. Malone is the guy that developed the mRNA technology. So he's a as expert as anybody could possibly be in his field. And he has some very interesting and important things to say. I highly recommend listening to those two podcasts. All right, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening to me. Again, if you have questions on anything, call us at Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or visit us at 107 South, 500 West in Bountiful. Thank you so much for listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched, produced, and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.